Hi, I'm Rochelle, and I'm reading the Bible reading from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. It's called A Sabbath Rest for the People of God. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still stands that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, good evening. I am the Chinese pastor of this church. So you see I am wearing a tie this morning. I'm still wearing it. But I, as Pastor David uh, see me, I, and other pastors will also see ourselves. I am not only the pastor of the Chinese congregation, but the, China, but the pastor of the whole church. That's why they want me to come here to speak. And you know, as a Chinese pastor, do you know what that means? It doesn't mean that uh, only that I wear a tie. It doesn't mean that I look after mainly the Chinese congregations. It also means that my English is not that good. <laughs> so bear with me. And um, But uh, with God's grace, I hope we can understand each other and you can understand me. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we come to you. So we pray that you speak among us. So that it is you who speak. And that we will be convicted. We will be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name I pray all this. Amen. You know, we have been looking at the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, do you know that there are five warnings? to the Jewish Christians there. And last week, I think Pastor David has uh, speak, spoken here and talked about one of the warnings, and that is to be faithful. 
do not harden our hearts. Now, today I'm going to uh, let's study chapter 4 together, and we continue to look at the same warning. That is to be faithful, do not harden our hearts. Let's, um, can you show the first verse? Let's look at chapter 4, verse, the first verse. Therefore, since the promise of entering his threat still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, if you look at the main sentence, or main word of this sentence, it is to let us be careful. But uh, in some, um, in the ESV, it is, the word is let us fear. Our original language is phobia. You know, you know phobia? It's a really strong word. So the overuse is a really strong word here. What, what, is the, what are the readers to be fearful about? And that is related to chapter 3. It is related to the wrath of God. Now we always think that God is a loving God. We sometimes forget about that God is a God that can get angry. And if you look at chapter 3, we know that God got angry with his people. And in chapter 3, verse 11, it says, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So you see here, God swore, God swear, swear. Do you see any other times that God swore to himself? The only time he swear to himself is he bless uh, Abraham. And he seldom swear when he bring calamity to people. So this is really a serious time for God. And that means when he swear, he will not change his mind again. So it's essentially a curse that God has given to those people. Those people who do not believe in him those who were in Egypt and they were taken out and they did not believe in God and that's why God is so angry. Probably, I think, unbelief is the greatest sin in the Bible because, you see, God is so angry because when when someone has unbelief, it's an insult to God. Why so? Because we are saying that God is a liar because what you say is not true so you're a liar so it makes God so angry so if you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 17 uh, you can see that God, God said that those people verse 17 what said not those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness some translations say those corpses, those people with the corpses lay in wilderness. So this is how God will deal with his people. And this is because of his wrath. So today when we come to this passage, let's start our message with the wrath of God. And, and the wrath of God is towards those people who do not believe in him. And 
actually, God really feel bad about those people who do not believe in Him. In Psalm 95, verse 10, it says, For 40 years, I was continually disgusted with that generation. And I said, These people decide to go astray. They do not obey my commands. Can you imagine our God being disgusted with His people? He may say to Himself, Oh, here they come. They come again. Worrying this, worrying about that, asking for meat, complaining, no water. I open the rescue for them, and they continue to complain about the journey. And when they reach Kadesh, those people did not trust the good news that Joshua and Caleb bring to them. They have seen all the wonders in the desert, but still they do not trust in me. They even want to stone my servants, Caleb and Joshua. So God was disgusted about that generation. God disgusted about that generation. So he swore in his anger that the generation will never be able to enter in his rest. So I believe God will sometimes be disgusted with us also. If so-called Christian we are often asking here, asking this and that, often worrying about this and that, and often feel guilty about ourselves. Maybe God will also feel disgusted about us. You will never find the rest, the true rest, unless you start to trust God completely. For His word and for the deeds that he has done for you. St. Augustine has said a very famous word. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and my heart is restless until it rests in you. So, verse 1 says that, Let us fear. Let us fear about the way that God do things. The, the way that God deal with unbelieving people it is by severe punishment so for the Israelite it means that causes will lie in the desert but for the people today it will mean an eternal suffering in hell and those people will never enter into the rest so but exactly what does it mean about the the rest that the passage is talking about. The passage talks a lot about the rest, the word rest. So now let's look at it. Uh, there are several meanings, and we discover that in, from the passage that they are, uh, it's talking about uh, seven, several characteristics of the word rest here. First of all, it's a satisfactory rest. The context of the rest is setting against the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is the symbol of God's rest. Verse verse 3 says to us that it is God's rest. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. It is my rest. It's God says it's my rest. It's the rest of God. 
and verse 4 explain again. For he has somewhere spoken on the, of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. So it's about God's rest and God has rested after seven days, after six days of work in the creation, and then on the seventh day, he took a rest. It doesn't mean that God stopped working from that time onwards. Actually, the Bible tells us, Jesus says in John 5, chapter, seven, uh, chapter 5, verse 17, that my father is always at work. Our God is still working. But on the seventh day after the creation, God finished and take a rest. Finished creation and take the rest. So it's the rest of completion. It's the rest of accomplishment. God has accomplished something. And that's the creation. And God said that, what do we, God think about the creation? He thinks that it is good. So it is satisfactory. It is a rest. In the rest, you feel satisfaction. This is the first point I want to make about the rest. The second point about the rest I want to make is it's a spiritual rest. If you look at um, the promise that uh, God has given to these Israelites, they said that they will enter the, into the rest when they enter into the land of Canaan. But you know that if you if they after what happened after they entered into the land of Canaan, there is a piece, a land that is full of milk and honey, but it's also a piece of land that is full of giants, a lot of enemies. They are enemies to conquer. So entering into the rest doesn't mean peaceful prosperity. It means there are battles to be fought. There are land to be conquered. The, God, the rest that God gives doesn't mean it is quietness. doesn't mean nothing will happen. It means that despite all these things, we can still have rest in Him. We can still have the strength and confidence to face the difficulties. So it does not mean that entering into the land of Canaan means that we can bring our lazy boy and go there, have a rest there. No. We still have to fight. But we fight with a rest inside us. And that's the promise that God has given us. It's a spiritual rest. It's a trust and belief that God will help us to face the troubles, despite all the difficulties. So for Christians, for us today, it means that we continue. Even though after we become Christians, we still have to fight against our enemies. And that's one of our enemies. That's the value of the world, the devil, our old self. We still have to fight against those enemies. But we have to fight, we have to peace and we have the strength inside us.
So if you look at verse 3, For we who have, and who have believed enter that rest. It says that those who have believed enter that rest. It's not a future tense. Okay? It's not will enter that rest. It is not perfect tense. We have not entered. But it is a process. In, in the original language, in Greek, it is present tense. It is a process that has started but has not finished. So when, when we say that we want to believe in Jesus, we already enter into the rest. But it's still a process that we have to go through until the final day. So it means we have to persistent, to be persistent in our lives, to keep our faith. And that's why in verse 11 it says that, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So we have to make effort into that rest. So it is not a rest that we do nothing. It's a rest that we strive to enter into. So the third one, the first characteristics of the rest that we are talking about is the rest that Jesus promised. In verse 3 it says that, For we who have believed enter that rest. We who have believed. Believe in what? Believe in what is said in verse 2. Verse 2 talk about the good news. Those we have believed about the good news, we can enter into the, the rest. And the good news that the book of Hebrews is talking about is at the end of uh, chapter 2 about salvation through Jesus and the sacrifice of sins as mentioned at the end of chapter 2. So the rest did not happen in the land of Canaan. The rest did not happen in David's day, King David's day. The rest happened in Jesus' day. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 says, Come unto me, all ye have laden, I will give you rest. It's the rest that Jesus gives. And in John chapter, verse, uh, chapter 14 verse 27, Jesus says, I left with you peace, not the world can give. So the rest that we are talking about is the rest that Jesus gives and it's the joy and peace of Christians that we, all real Christians will experience. So what Joshua could not give, Jesus gave us. You know the name of Joshua in Greek is Yeshu. It's the same as the name of Jesus. So Joshua is the type of Jesus. Joshua brought his people into the land of Canaan and Jesus brought all his people into God's rest. What, Jesus, what Joshua could not do, Jesus achieved it. So here you can still see the theme that Jesus is greater than Joshua. Because if you look at the previous chapters, 
you can see Jesus is talking about Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than Moses. Greater is Jesus is greater than the angels. Now you see that Jesus is greater than Joshua because he can lead us into the rest. Those who put their faith in Jesus, those who trust in him, rely on him, commit to him, will enjoy the rest. It is the rest of God's presence. It is the peace that God gives us. It can be enjoyed here and now. And it is also a rest that we will, we will enjoy in the future. So the fourth characteristics of the rest that we are talking about is not talking only at present. We are talking about in the future. There's uh, an everlasting rest. So verse 7 says, Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David. So long afterward, in the words already called today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So in verse, um, sorry, verse chapter four, um, verse seven, it says that God has remained another day, set up a certain day, calling it today, and. That is the day of the Sabbath day. It is the day of Sabbath, Sabbath rest for his people. It is the day that we no longer have to struggle. We no longer have to battle. And we will cease to sin. It is the being in the presence of God with his people in worship and in praise. So, the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. It is the Sabbath rest for all of us, that after... In this life, we have strived to enter into the rest. We have strived to overcome the enemies of the world, Satan, ourselves, and the world values. We don't have to do that anymore. We will have a rest. It's a rest of completion. It's a rest after we have finished doing things. So it is a rest that will last forever. So at this point of time, I will just mention about four characteristics of the rest that we, the book of Hebrew has talked about. It is a satisfactory rest. It's a spiritual rest. It's a rest that Jesus has promised. And it is an everlasting rest. So at this point, you may think to yourself, do you really have that rest in you? Or are you always anxious about many things? Or are you trying to acquire many things because you are not restful? So how many Christians are there today? They just say that they are Christians, but in their hearts they are not. How many Christians are just got 
treat God as the ATM machine and push the button and then go. God does not want superficial relationships. He wants us to not only to believe in Him, but to trust in Him. So if you don't have that rest, so I'm going to tell you how. The book of Hebrew has mentioned how we can have that rest. And let's look at it. So the first way that we can have this rest is to trust in the Word of God. To trust in the Word of God. Verse 3 says that, chapter 4 verse 3 says that, those who have believed enter into the rest. It's those who believe in the Word of God and put their trust in God that can enter into the rest. There was a little kid and um, that little kid have a, has a father and uh, that little kid one day broke the window of the door or the window of the house and then um, after he broke the window the little kid felt very guilty so he came to the father Father, I broke the window I'm so sorry about that um, please forgive me and the father says, look at him, took pity on him, and then said, okay, son, you are forgiven. And uh, don't break any more windows. And then this son go away. And then five minutes later, this son come back to the father and then say again, father, I broke the window. And the father says, oh, you broke another window? No, this is the same window that I have broken. And the father says to him, Oh, you have been forgiven. I said I have forgiven you. Just go and don't break any more windows. And then yet five minutes later, the son come again and then said to his father, Father, I broke a window. Is it the same window? Is it another window? And no, uh, he said, no, it is the same window. And then this father get annoyed. He does not want to talk to him anymore. He just want to take him to the mental hospital. <laughs> you see, we all, very often we do not believe in God's word. Just like the little kid does not believe in the words of his father. And just like the little kid, we all have a spirit of unbelief in us. We do not believe what we heard from God. And that's the reason why we do not have that rest. You know, from the book of Hebrews, from chapter 3, we, we know that there's a, a process of a Christian falling away from God. Firstly, the first step is they, even though they hear His voice, but they, the second step is they harden their hearts. So they, they don't use their faith to mix with the Word and then the Word cannot take effect on the people's life. And then that person will not have rest and then he will continue to do things that makes God angry. And then slowly and slowly 
his heart will turn away from God. So, we know that the people of Israel, when they arrived at the place of Kadesh, they did not believe in the good news of Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb said to them, this is a peace land that is full of milk and honey. Together we can go in there and conquer the land. But they don't believe it. They do not believe in the good news. They rebel. They even want to stone Joshua and Caleb. And they rather go back to Israel to become servants. So you know how annoyed it is for God. If we really want to have rest, we need to believe in the good news. We need to trust in the word of God, which he speaks through his son. Right from the very beginning, the book of Hebrews says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. The Israelites did not trust the word that was spoken by the prophet Moses and Joshua. And they died in wilderness. But now it is not Joshua who speaks. Now it is Jesus who speaks. He spoke by coming to this world and dying on the cross. And if the Israelites died in the desert because of unbelief, how much worse our consequence will be if we do not believe in the word that is spoken by God himself, by his son. So the main point is about trusting. It's not just belief in the head, but trusting. But that means it is to trust that it is true, and then you change your life accordingly. And then in verse 3 it says that, it means that, in verse 3 it says, those who listen to God need to what? Unite what he hear with the faith. Chapter 4, verse 3. We need to unite what we hear with our faith. That means we should not suppress the faith that we hear. That means let the gospel speak to us. Let the gospel story change us. Let the gospel story move us into a better place, a place of obedience and trust. The gospel says, Jesus died for us. The gospel says, if God has given his life for us, his son for us, what else will he hold back, hold back that he will not give us? Rome, the book of Rome, uh, Romans Chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you believe in this? 
if you really believe in this, if you really let this verse speak to you, you will not have unrest in your life. True rest will come if you put your trust in the promise of God, in the words that Jesus has promised. Suppose you have a relative, and that relative uh, called you uh, one night, and then saying that, oh, you have a, a, a relative, so we don't know him too much, but he passed away, and he left a huge inheritance for you, a lot of money. You are going to inherit it. He passed away. What will, what will happen to you? You can choose to believe in it, and then you can choose to ignore it. But if the moment that you choose to believe in it, you will have joy and peace. You will scream out, Oh, thank God! In the same way, the moment that you believe in the gospel, you choose to believe it, you will find joy and peace in your life. Now, you may not believe someone who calls you, you don't know who he is, you just, maybe you just hang up the phone because you don't know who he is. He is, so you won't listen to him. But now, the one who speaks to you is the Son of God, Jesus. So you will be in a big trouble if you don't believe in him. Because in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So do not suppress the truth that is revealed in the Bible. Do not suppress the things that you have heard and let them change you. As you try not to suppress the truth, let it change you and you, your heart becoming to be softened. And the seed, the word of God, can grow within you and it will grow into a plant and it will bear fruit of obedience. The book of Romans says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. You see, it's a process that we enforce one another. If we really believe in God, God will give us more faith and we will trust Him more. So if you are hardening your heart, come back. The book of the author of the book tells us to make use to make use of the day to hear the faith and to let the gospel change our lives. Let the good news affect our lives. So let's believe it and act on it. So this is the chance that we have a change, that we believe in the gospel. Chapter 4 says, Today is the day. Today is the day that we should believe in the gospel, believe in the word of God, and let it change our lives.
You may have come to the church for a long time. You may have hear a lot, but you didn't mix it with faith. It is the time that you put your trust in the Word of God. It's the time that you put your faith in Jesus. And this is the first way that we can have that rest. Now I want to tell you the second way of getting into that rest. And it is also in this chapter. The other way of getting into that rest, and we say that the rest is a, also a process that you have to go through, is to be persistent in trusting in God. You have to be persistent in trusting God. It's just not just accept it one time, but you have to persist, and persist until the end. Now, how do we do that? And there's a way that the author has suggested to us. It is not doing by ourselves. It's doing together with our brothers and sisters. It is mentioned in chapter 3, verse 13. But exhort one another, one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It is by encouraging one another. It is by encouraging your brothers and sisters to be persistent, to trust in God. We all need our brothers and sisters to help us to live a Christian life. So there are two ways we can have this rest. The first way is that we have to trust in the Word of God. The second way is that we have to be persistent in trusting God. And the only way to do that is that we encourage one another to go through all the difficulties in our lives that we can encourage one another to be more faithful. So Hebrew, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians to warn them to, so that they won't fall back to Judaism. Maybe to the Jews there, they, some of them may think that, oh, they have betrayed Jesus, they have crucified him, there's no chance anymore. But the author says to them, today you can enter into the rest, today you can repent and then have a new life. So this is the chance. So if you have not believed in Jesus, you have not put your trust in Him, you have been feeling unrestful, this is the day that you put your faith in Jesus and trust in Him. But this is not the only thing that we can take away today. The other thing that we need to take away is that we need to encourage one another. 
into the faith. A few years ago, when I was in Hong Kong, I joined an activity called Trail Walker. It is a cross-country trail walking. I have to uh, walk uh, 100 kilometers from this part of Hong Kong to that part of Hong Kong in 48 hours. And we have climbed the highest mountain in, in Hong Kong and then go to the other side of Hong Kong. So we have to do it in 48 hours. And we have to do it in a team of four people. Now the, the rule of the game is you can't fin- cross the finish line with on less than four people. Your whole team should cross the finish line together. So if any one of your team fall behind, you lose. You are disqualified. This is essentially the concept of uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He's saying that we should be careful. We should be fearful. Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. In the original language, concept is a sports concept. Is you do not let other people fall behind. And you do not let other people fall behind and you cross the finish line without them. So that's why the author always says, let us. The author himself must have entered into the rest. But he still says, let us. It's the thing that we do together as a community. It's the thing that we, we do for those people who, fall, who have fallen behind us. So that there's no one to be lost. So that we all cross the finish line together. So, encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, Joshua and Caleb, they could enter into the land of Canaan, while the other Israelites could not. But Joshua and Caleb has done their part in encouraging the other people, the Israelites, to believe in God's promise and enter into the land. The problem is, do we do our part? Just as Joshua and Caleb did their part to encourage those people who have fallen behind to be persistent, to trust in the word of God. After Cain killed Abel, as we know from the book of Genesis, you know, God asked Cain a question. Where is Abel, your brother? And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So, in the same way, God is asking you, where is your brother? Where is the one who sit next to you many years ago? Where is the one who came with you 
to this church to come to this congregation? And where is he now? God is still asking us this question. Do you know how your brother is doing? Do you know, have someone you know who is in spiritual danger and is in the danger of falling behind? You need to ask ask them to come back. You need to help them to come back. Let us encourage one another. Let us cross the finish line together. Let us don't let anyone fall behind in the faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, message today. We thank you that you give us the rest that we all can enter into. And thank you for telling us that we can enter into the faith only by trusting in your word. And then we have to be persistent by encouraging one another. So Father, help us to be mindful of those brothers and sisters that has that are in the danger of falling behind, that are falling that are in the danger of turning away from you. Help us to bring them back because you want us to encourage one another. So help us, Lord. And we thank you for the rest that you have given us, for the promise that you have given us. And I pray that you help us to believe in this promise. In Jesus' name I pray all this. Amen.